0: Hi, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and thank you for downloading the latest edition of Aussies Only, one of our podcast offerings here at The First Serve. You can get your weekly live tennis fix with The First Serve every Monday night on the SCN radio network at 7 pm Eastern. All the broadcast details of how you can listen can be found at our website, thefirstserve.com.au.
1: Welcome to Aussies Only, the First Serves deeper look inside the game at home. Talking to those inside and outside the tramlines.
2: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the First Serves Aussies Only, brought to you by Latua Tennis. Head over to latuatennis.com to get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel in the game. It's your host Jed Zetter and today, myself and my co-host Jake Eames to a former pro player who is now taking great strides in the coaching landscape. Betty Sekolovsky joins the show to provide some insight into the current coaching landscape in Australia and reveals some of her golden coaching philosophies. It's time now to hand it over to my co-host to introduce Betty. Eamesy, take it away. Yeah, cheers Jed. Uh, Really
1: looking forward to this week again. She was a great player and more importantly now doing some great things in the coaching space. And in the last five years in particular, what I'm really interested today about is her work in the female space. Very excited,
2: and I'll introduce her now, Betty Sekulovsky. Welcome.
0: Thanks, Jake. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.
2: Betty, tell us about your tennis story. And do you remember the first time you picked up a racket?
0: Uh, Yeah, uh, roughly. Yeah. I'm very fortunate to grow up with a sister uh, that was only a couple of years older than me. We were both given uh, two very Wooden, yellow, bright yellow, uh, green rackets. You know, we had a huge yard and uh, used to hit up against the wall all the time. And then we somehow found a love for it in the backyard, where it became. Um, I don't know why, but but the strain open beyond, and we'd be playing best of five sets. Apparently, we were we thought we were in the men's game at the time, but um, <laughs> yeah, we would we would just go at it in the in the backyard on the concrete slab.
1: It's amazing how a tennis journey can go from there to the strain <laughs> open main draw doubles, uh, you played with Cindy Watson and you guys made the second round in 2005. Uh, yeah. Do you like to tell us a little bit about your experience playing at the Grand Sam level?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I was, uh, it was really interesting because probably six months prior to that, um, I was actually contemplating giving up the game. And um, Kind of, I was suffering from a lot of injuries and, and I kind of fell out fell, fell out of love with the game. And, um, you know, Cindy was someone I, I practiced with a lot. We, had, we shared the same coach and uh, I've just found a love of the game back again and, and kind of led into a really good summer. That that summer for us was, you know, we just played some really good doubles. We had some good results leading into that. Um, I was kind of just really just enjoying it and being able to play um, Grand Slam tennis and winning a round for the first time was unbelievable in front of family and friends and you hear people say it all the time but there's really nothing like it when you're hearing um, random people uh, cheering you on from the side of the court and uh, you know asking for your autograph and then all of a sudden you know just the after effect of when it all finishes just catching up with all your family and friends and just the vibe yeah there's nothing like it to be honest.
2: When you look back at your career is that the standout moment?
0: Yes, I think it was for, for the many reasons that I've probably pointed out was um, just just the background story of how uh, I, was, I was kind of least expecting that sort of result for us, especially, like I said, months prior to that, thinking about hanging up the rackets. Um, that was by far for me the most exciting time in my life, playing tennis, yep.
2: Was there a point in time where you thought, all right, I definitely want to become a coach or did you make this decision after you retired?
0: Yeah, look, I think at the time when I was sort of going through those um, periods of contemplating retiring, it was, I did love, I mean, I loved tennis, I loved everything that it brought. Um, I did need some time away from it at first, but, uh, and I sort of got into coaching because it was the easiest thing for me to do, the easiest transition, um, and sort of helped out with a few clinics over in Europe at the time, and, um, you know, had some really strong mentors when I was back home. and. That I worked you know I looked through the, the coaching clinics for and then did a couple of days during the week and somehow I started to find um I started to find the love of coaching because it was so different in a lot of ways to the mindset I've had as a player and, and coaching was a completely different perspective and um it was it wasn't about me it was about the person that I was coaching so I think I really enjoyed the challenge of not only challenging myself but trying to learn more about the sport which looking back now, I think would have made me probably a better player if I'd done more of that anyway. But, yeah, I, I sort of fell into it in some ways. Yeah,
1: I've always had a lot of coaches tell me, if I knew what I knew now when I was younger, I'd always be better. When I, when I was younger, I was thinking, what are, you, what are you talking about? But, yeah, once you go into that coaching landscape, you really understand like, there's so much you don't know as a player, unfortunately, that you, you discover being a coach. Was it an yeah, easy yeah. transition for you or was it something that took some time to really grab a hold of.
0: Yeah, a little bit of both. Uh it was easy because I still love the sport. It was hard because I had to give up the sport because of an injury. So it was out of my control. So I was a little bit bitter at the time, but I think once I moved into it uh, after a year and I started to look, you know, it's like anything you get a bit of encouragement and you start to feel a little bit more confident about maybe this is the pathway for you and um I started to realize that I maybe had a little bit of a and I think the communication factor, I really enjoyed getting to know the players I was working with. The care factor was always there. I felt like you could provide a little bit of insight um, just using your own experience. And, and from that, it was kind of a healing process for me, to be honest. Just coaching was more of a healing process at the time. And then, I don't know, after about a, a couple of years and um, spending some time overseas coaching as well at the same time, I just started to love it. I started to love all the challenges it came with. You know, it, it, it has its ups and downs and you ride those waves with the players. but it's um it's a it's it just it's addictive you know once you get going it, um, you just want to see the the improvements you want to you want to work with the player on that journey and I think that's the exciting part about it is never knowing how far that player can go.
2: Tell us about those experiences coaching overseas what were some of the most valuable lessons that you learned?
0: Well, the first time I sort of – I lived in the UK and worked at a, at a high-performance academy um, at the time, and, and the, the main coach, uh, head coach at the time was Nicholas Kiefer. He would spent some time with Nicholas Kiefer, a French guy uh, named Farid, and he didn't speak very much. I was quite intimidated by him because he was very different to the Australian uh, – probably the Australian culture that we seem to come across here. We're friendlier. You know, we sort of were we're a little more sarcastic. Um, so I think when I was over there, I really learnt – a lot about uh how to not, not conduct yourself but just simple just simple things like um he was very he was quite strict with the way he, uh, he liked things to run um the environment was very much conducive to development and um the kids sort of knew where uh the boundary was a little bit and i think i really enjoyed that i think i really enjoyed seeing the work ethic that he was able to create through the environment so i learned you know i learned a fair bit of some of the the guys that also worked with junior development in terms of that 12 year sorry younger space really from probably eight onwards to about 12. spent a lot of time in that space as well and um picked up some you know some really great insight things that have completely opened up my world and um i started to research more about it and, and get more into it and um i never knew You know, I think when you first go into coaching, you kind of want to work with the best players because you think, you know, it's it's just easier and it's kind of a habit all. You don't have to talk much about um, maybe technical things as as much. But it was interesting when I started working in that younger space, I absolutely loved knowing more about the game, not only just technically, physically, mentally, getting the best out of the kids at a younger age, the engagement, um, the environment. So there was so much to learn and I really, really invested a lot of time in that at the time.
1: Yeah, there there is so much to learn that space, and you even look at I guess some of the best coaches in the world. You throw them on a you know a red red ball court or orange ball court with <laughs> kids seven to ten, they probably wouldn't know what to do. So it is there is so much, so many elements of the game to learn. Yeah. What's your current coaching position set up right now?
0: Um, so I was working uh, at the National Academy in Victoria, sorry Melbourne, um, for tennis Australia for the last five years currently this year have moved on to Boroondara Tennis Centre. So going back into the private market, which is exciting, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've been in that sort of more of a late kind of world in the last, you know, past five years and I've been really fortunate to, to work along the pe- alongside the people I've worked with and also just having access to the players that I've had access to over the last few years. Um, but it's really kind of, it's a refreshing take on coaching when you go back out in the private market at the moment and, you know, it's a different style of coaching, it's a different... Mentality, which yeah is is challenging.
2: Do you mind revealing some of your philosophies that you believe in most and practice today?
0: Yeah, I mean, I get asked this question a lot, and it's a really interesting question to answer. Um, You know, I think my philosophy has always been around just getting the best out of the player you're working with. So everyone's different. You know, I can have my set ways, but at the end of the day, if that way is not really getting the best out of my player, you know, you have to be adaptable. So I always Mm. make sure. And the care factor for me is just huge. So I, I always just bring that to the you know, forefront of everything I do. I probably over communicate <laughs> a lot of the time with my players, but I just, tend, just to make sure that, you know, it's a lonely world tennis, unfortunately, at times. And I think, you know, players get lost within that. So I always make sure that uh, whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to get the best. Not only are they trying to get the best out of themselves, but I'm making sure that I'm creating an environment that achieves that.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I know at Bruandara as well, um, Jared Ma is there, who also played on the circuit. So quite a strong, strong team there. Two players there, say yourself and Jared, for example, obviously players now coaches. What are the main key factors you take away from being a player that you can help a developing junior?
0: I think it's just knowing the amount of hard work that goes into it every single day and the commitment that's required. Mm. I think sometimes, uh, you know, look, we're so far away from the world here. It's very difficult for players to get a gauge of I guess the, the talent that is around the world and the amount of hours these kids are spending around tennis courts and, and yeah I think it's really important to be able to share just the amount of commitment that is required and hard work and the ups and downs it's not only just about the tennis hitting the tennis ball It's really about managing now I think with um, the, the mental side of it and balancing out some of those things throughout your life and, and just having someone to speak to um, I look back and I think, you know, what, what was missing? And I think for me it was balance. And, mm. yeah, if you can kind of share those experiences as a player with, with these kids. Uh, I think the, the storytelling the story behind that is really engaging for a lot of the players.
2: Betty, talk to us about the coaching landscape for women at the moment. Do you believe there are enough women coaching tennis in Australia?
0: Look, uh, not not at this stage. I'd love to say uh, I'd love to see a lot more of them, especially trying to um, move up and into high performance as well. I think we're we're starting to see definitely a lot more females involved in coaching at clubs, which is you know fantastic. Uh, I think we're doing a really good job with the coaching courses trying to engage women and get them more involved. Definitely would love to see more of them working in high performance. I think you know we can't undervalue kind of uh, you know. <laughs> Nothing again, and i I've kind of be careful with the way I say this because, you know, there's nothing wrong with male coaches. We love them. We love having them involved. But I think it's really nice to have female coaches involved. Just from a from a communication standpoint, there's some things there that, you know, you can really draw on. And um, I think I'd love to see more of them involved and, and get the confidence to, to you know, put their best foot forward and, and give themselves a, a chance at um, having a crack at it.
1: Yeah, and you touched on there about storytelling through communication. Um, there's a lot of coaches, uh, I guess, that played in the tour that are also a big fan of that. And in terms of female coaches being able to communicate well with female athletes, I found, even for myself, a lot of my storytelling is to deal with, you know, on the ITF for ATP tour in men's matches or men's doubles matches or whatever, and it's it's much easier if you can relate to your student a little bit better. Um, is That form of communication, being able to tell stories from your own experience, does that really help, you think, when coaching a female player? I
0: think it kind of depends on the player you're coaching. And, you know, I find this a little bit with with players is sometimes the parent that they're closest sometimes to or they have the best connection with might be their father. Um, Mm. And it it just really depends on the kind of language that's being used at home, I guess, the environment they've grown up in. But I would say, look, I have... From my experience, the the connections I've been able to form with some of these, the female players is, yeah, you're, you're discussing topics that you may not feel comfortable discussing possibly with a male coach. It, that might not have anything to do with coaching. It just might be a a human, you know, a human thing, like from a human element point of view, it might just be a conversation that just feels more comfortable having that with, with a female coach. So, you know, it's funny um, to talking to some of the coaches, they'll, they'll be like uh, in the past Jeez, it's, it's so, like, i just want to coach i just, just want to get on the court and coach this player and, and sometimes that that player uh being so much female might just come out and say well i'm not, I'm not having a great day i just want to chat uh mm. and sometimes having that conversation on the side of the court is much more beneficial than hitting tennis balls uh you might not see that as much with some of the, the male players possibly but look they're all going through something whether they're male or female i think they're all going through Now, social media has become such a huge part of daily life that you know it absorbs a lot of what's going on in their in their head. So having just someone to relate to, I would say, is key. But there are topics there that some females just might find more comfortable discussing with a female.
2: Certainly, I must agree that would be a major factor. My next question is going to be do you feel there is a difference for females in being coached by a male or a female? But I think you've just answered that perfectly that the emotional connection can definitely be a difference.
0: I think if you're if you're an engaged coach, I think you're always going to try and improve and develop in areas that you need to be developed in. So you know women, if you've played the game on the female side, it is it is a different game of the you know the, the men. So there are elements of the game yeah. that are a little bit different, and I think some things are more relatable than others, but I think there's some fantastic male coaches out there that have spent a long time on the on the women's tour and understand the game very, very well. and you know, I know from my experience, I'll bounce. You know, I'll try and reach out to those coaches and and find out, hey, what what can I be doing better here? These are the challenges. So, I don't think it's got anything really to do with that. I think it just comes down to your experiences. It comes down to also not having um. There's just some things that you might uh, be able to relate to a little bit more if you've played uh, not just played the game but spent more time around the women's game. I think it's more around just dropping the ego and and having the ability to reach out and collaborate with some of these coaches who. May um, have something to offer you that you can't currently offer that player. So just learning off some of these coaches is key.
1: Yeah, I think collaboration is a is a great great point there. And you mentioned with with trying to increase female coaches within the coaching realm. You mentioned there's a lot of great male coaches, and there's also a lot of great female players and female coaches. What do you think could help increase the participation of of you know ex players or uh, females interested in coaching to get involved at the high performance level.
0: Uh, I, well, exactly what you're touching on. There's actually a lot of uh, ex-players currently doing a lot of their coaching courses. And it's honestly fantastic to see this. And I think it's just creating opportunities to allow them to get on the court and and yeah, and experience what it's like to be coaching. Because they've, they've come from a playing background. Uh, we know they can offer a lot from that perspective. And I think some of the, their experiences would be uh, incredible for some of these players. But I think it's just creating more opportunities for these um, female coaches to be involved, uh, even from a mentoring point of view or joining in, in camps, um, which I know with you know, Rowan Fish has done an incredible job of at Tennis Australia uh, and Nicole Pratt, uh, we've, you know, tried to, you know, really push this um, in the past. So I think you'll see more of it, but I do believe uh, they need confidence, you know, they need encouragement and they need opportunities. And I think the more of these opportunities that come along through, like I said, camps or... Any of these sort of, sort of initiatives that we have throughout the year uh, are key to get them involved.
1: Betty, moving on to the obviously private sector, you, you did have a lot of experience over the last five years, as we mentioned, in the high performance space and with female players. Is there any key elements to a player that you've noticed you know, performing at the elite level that's almost fundamental to have?
0: Yeah, I, I think you can't go past the physicality uh, at this stage. Physicality and the robustness from a mental point of view are really two key key elements i think physicality for me is huge i mean if you can if you can move really well these days uh, i think you have got a real good shot um just generally on court to be able to, to sustain a level of performance and, and also uh you know there's some some key priorities that have really been um developed i know in my time at ta you know we spent a lot of time on that the Serve Plus One, something that Nicole Pratt really tried to get us as coaches collaborating and um, and really enforcing this a lot of the time. So, you know, the Serve Plus One, the Return uh, Plus One, that's the key areas of priorities that we've really worked on. And we've got some great talent across the country, and I think we're seeing a huge surge now of, of Australian female players moving through, you know, closing down that top 100 sort of scale. So I think what we do need is just more experience, (laughs) more experience Mm. playing these uh, larger events, spending more time, you know, it's hard to be asking Australians to spend months on end travelling away from their home. So I think, yeah, we need more of that exposure. I think we, um, and I think once you get that exposure, especially from an earlier age, you sort of know what you're up against uh, with the rest of the world.
2: Bessie, just when it comes to the Tennis Australia performance review, Do you feel that the changes made will be beneficial for young players who are aspiring to go pro and rising up the ranks?
0: Yeah, it's uh, interesting now that I'm sort of in the private market. I'm getting a better feel for how it it, it could possibly play out. But I think, look, I think it's really positive for coaches on the outside to have more involvement in their players' development down the track. It it creates the ability to uh, to be able to plan uh, a little more long-term versus short term and i think it's uh i think if we can collaborate more i, I think this is a it's a win win for everybody and you know you're going to have a kid that comes into a club and develops a relationship with a coach and i think it allows them to keep building on that relationship that trust and develop like i said a longer term process of thinking and you know we're ta you know we've got some fantastic coaches in there who've had some incredible experiences and i think you know, what you can't provide possibly as a private coach, whether it's, um, you know, maybe, maybe you maybe haven't been exposed to a certain level of, of performance. I think you can always touch base with those guys and, and ask the questions. And um, I, I'd like to see it working like that.
1: Yeah, I'd definitely like to see, you know, some of the best kids in the state or in the nation, I guess, getting together. It creates an amazing environment to, for not only Absolutely. the players to be involved in, but the coaches to be involved in as well. What are some things you're really yeah. looking forward to getting into, into the private sector now?
0: I think it's more the collaboration. I think that's one thing we haven't had uh, forever is, you know, having getting coaches together and collaborating and trying to get their best kids or their, you know, their, their proper kids together more often. Like you said, I think mm. um, one thing is always a fear of is, you know, losing your kids to another coach. And I think, you know, you've got some coaches out there with, generally the right sort of intentions. I really believe getting them together more often is the way to go, and I think kids will see that this is, you know, it's a positive because of are working together and, you know, it should be seen as a positive uh, element because, as we know, you could be a club further out somewhere in the suburbs and you might only have one kid out there that's not exposed to this. So I'd love to see more, yeah, more collaboration, and I know that's something I'm currently doing myself, and it's, you know, I'm learning. I'm, I'm learning to adapt into a new environment and uh, and try to get this to happen a little bit more in our culture.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right there. And I think that that's one of the main difficulties in the private sector is you've got to cover so many elements of, I guess, the business and yes. you've only got a limited amount of time. So I guess that's a, one of the main things I've noticed in the private sector is you're not handed a small bunch of players that you're you're looking after day in day out you kind of got a wider range of responsibilities um so with collaborations are you looking you know different maybe different squads and different kind of um input from other coaches that could help benefit you know a player you might have coming through your private business
0: i think we've been fortunate enough to to build the relationships um i have in my time at tennis australia i built some great relationships a lot of coaches that i hadn't had relationships before um Mm. and i think it's it's just the conversation of, hey, you know, let's get our kids together and have to, you know, match play or, you know, trying to create this sort of environment for the kids because it's not only stimulating for the kids, but it's also something stimulating for the coaches. And, you know, I I was in the private market years ago prior to Tennis Australia and, um, you know, it can get very dull when you're you're just doing the same thing day in, day out and don't have anyone to bounce ideas off. So I think this also gives coaches an opportunity to socialise a little bit and, bounce some ideas off each other and, and try and figure out how they can only not only strengthen their program but strengthen themselves as coaches and keep improving.
2: I must agree. It sounds like those changes will be majorly beneficial and and make the coaches' life a little bit easier in just communicating with the player and having a bit more variety. Betty, what's one golden tip that you would have for a young aspiring tennis player hoping to go pro?
0: <laughs> so many that would come to my head, but really I think it's too... But love the game and become a student of the game. Um, the more you understand about this wonderful sport, I think the more you can kind of go into it a little bit more educated. But I think it's just love what you do is just so important. You know, I think that's that's something I feel like when we were growing up as kids, that you, you just love playing sport, you love watching it, you love playing it. And I think if you, can, if you can love it and understand that, yeah, it's hard work, but if you can commit yourself some wonderful things can come out of this this sport, not only from a from a tennis point of view, but just from a life skill and yeah, I'd say just to love what you do on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great tip there, Betty. And do you have any, I guess, advice for trying to enhance, I guess, a child's love of the game, for example, because there's a lot of other pressures that come in into play yeah. there in terms of rankings, results, uh, you know, the financial support from parents and it does somehow under all these pressures need to come back to I'm doing this sport because I love it.
0: Yeah, it's exactly right. And I think um, it's very easy to say, you know, I love doing it. And I, but I think it's more around the team of people you have around that child. So, you know, I think I always talk about team because I think it's so important to have the right sort of people around your child at the right time, you know, educating them on, on exactly that. It's the financial stress of a family, bringing the family on the journey, educating them. Um, it's a slow burn with some families and that's okay. It just takes time to educate them through what are some of the things that they can expect down the track. So I, I'm really a big believer in having the right team at the right time to be able to help foster not only the enjoyment, but it's also just creating an environment where the player feels safe, that it's okay, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna lose, you're going to win, but it's just that constant education around the family as a whole, not just the child. Because I feel like sometimes that's something that does get left out is speaking to the child, but you're not actually bringing the family on the journey either. So I think it's as a whole, you need to bring that whole entire family um, in on those conversations as much as possible and keep educating them through it.
1: Yeah, And the journey as well, Betty, it just really can go to so many different places and so many avenues. Um, Are you one to as well just promote various avenues in terms of club tennis, college pathways, going pro? And how much do you think that's important in terms of having a clear goal for a player to really enjoy their journey?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I've definitely spent more time thinking about it during my time at TA because, you know, the college pathway is a pathway that we do encourage our players to go down. And I think it's a... Yeah, exactly. Not everybody is going to go down the one way. And I think it's creating, um, you know, alternatives for the player that... There are other ways you can go about this lifestyle, and not, it doesn't necessarily have to be the one that is really obvious. So, yeah, definitely, I encourage you know college. It could be even uni here for some kids. It really depends on the on the, the athlete and the person and what they really want to do and what their beliefs are. And um, but I know college has been such a huge part of um, with some of the females we have even coming up. You know, in the top you know top one hundred and fifty, some of them have gone to college for you know, four years and have uh, come out of it uh, phenomenally well. So it's a, it's a great pathway and definitely I think we need to keep our eyes open to that and, and keep our um, yeah, sorry, mind open to those
2: options. Just when it comes to players making that transition from either college to the tour or juniors to the tour, do you feel it could be more beneficial for players to maybe move overseas to Europe or to America just to have a base there? rather than being in Australia where there's far less pro tour tournaments year round, do you think it would be more beneficial for them to have a base overseas? Uh, Look,
0: I definitely, I think it's great to have a base overseas. I I think we, you know, I think that's something hopefully it's looked at in the future and, I do believe to, for us to be uh, contending with some of these with these players around, around the world, we need to be closer to them. So having a base over there would be fantastic. And, you know, you're competing with players that are in academies, just within academies like 100, 100 metres down the road. So they're training full-time, a lot of these athletes, um, and uh, have got a full program of services. So I'd love to see that happen in the future. Um, I'd, I'd love to see the kids travelling a little more, a little bit earlier on, maybe not too, not too young, but just giving them some exposure I think is important. And I think when you start to see this, yeah, I, I, think, I think a base is a no-brainer in some ways.
2: Betty, thank <laughs> you so much for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate it. You're doing some marvellous things in the coaching landscape and you're so young, which is amazing because you've got so many years ahead of you. We really appreciate you taking the time out to join us today.
0: Uh, thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate you having me on and um, uh, you're yeah, doing some great things yourself. So keep up the great work.
2: Thanks, It's so been great to chat. Thanks, guys. Well, we hope you enjoyed our chat with Betty Sekulovsky. All thanks to Latua Tennis. Make sure to head over to LatourTennis.com to check out their latest Dig 3 collection before it sells out. Make sure as well to check out our previous editions of the show, including last week's chat with Paul Hanley. For another week, thank you for tuning in to this edition of Aussies Only.
1: Subscribe to the First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Aussies Only, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern. Crunching the numbers and In the Huddle, produced by Study & Play USA. Subscribe to the First Serve.